It's just a fabulous feast of local foods. Welcome to Extension Out Loud, a podcast from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. And this week we're revisited by a guest we spoke to last year. Yes, we're talking with Mo Tidball. She is a nutrition issue leader and creator of Wild Harvest Table. And she's with Cornell Cooperative Extension of Seneca County. And in this episode, we talk turkey. Yeah, we dive into the history of native and farm-raised turkeys in New York State. We talk about wild and heritage turkeys mm-hmm. and preparation methods, ingredients. To learn more about Wild Harvest Table, check out our episode from 2018 called Harvest Highlights Wild Harvest Table. And be sure to check the episode description, find a link to Wild Harvest Table where you can gather up those recipes. Mo, we want to welcome you back to Extension Out Loud. It's been about a year, and uh, we thought it'd be a good time to revisit the issue of turkeys. It's great. I love talking turkey. So as people get ready for their celebration coming up in November, what can you tell us about turkeys? Why is turkey such a central part of this particular celebration, and what are the origins of this bird that we all enjoy so much? Well, eastern wild turkey is a native bird here in the northeast, and as you I'm sure have seen in the fields and whatnot, it's a very large bird, so it's perfect for feeding many people. So it's a great celebration bird. And of course, there's lots of history and, and lore of how when the pilgrims were having a hard time and the natives helped them and they feasted and celebrated and all brought various harvest specialties to the dinner, whether it was things that they hunted or um, farmed. And of course, having Eastern wild turkey was part of that. What's the diversity of turkey like? All of our domestic turkeys were originally from the wild turkeys and over time and breeding have changed. Um, There's still some heritage breeds. There's a breed that looks almost identical to the Eastern wild turkey, but largely has been bred to have larger breast size because that's the type of meat that people really enjoy predominantly. But then there's other breeds too that in different locations just had different genetic traits. But I think today most of the farm turkeys are primarily two breeds of turkeys. There's the large whites and then the broad-breasted bronzes, which do look a little bit more like eastern wild turkey, but again, they're bred to have very large breasts and they're not naturally, they can't reproduce in any in the wild, so therefore they're not heritage breeds. Can you tell us a little bit about nutritional quality of turkey? So um, this is quite exciting. Cornell Cooperative Extension here in Seneca County teamed up with the Department of Natural Resources and New York State DEC and some National Wild Turkey Federation biologists, along with some guidance from USDA to actually collect eastern wild turkeys, get the meat analyzed for the nutritional content. So we were able to do that in a national study. So we have turkeys that were from New York, from Tennessee, from Georgia, and out in Wisconsin. And what we found from that is that the meat is very lean compared to um, what domestic turkeys are now. So for instance, Eastern wild turkey for 100 grams of meat has 109 calories, whereas the domestic turkey has 114. But the big difference is really the fat. So the Eastern wild turkey has about half the amount of fat that a domestic turkey has now. So that makes a lot of sense because the Eastern wild turkeys is 
they're running around, they're flying, they're exercising, they're leaner, but uh, it, it's good to actually have that nutritional content well-known. And now uh, people can know for sure that what they're eating has maybe more potassium than domestic turkey and less fat. Does the fat content also have to do somewhat with their diet? Exactly. Yes. Yep. So um, the varied forage and things like that that they get compared mm -hmm. to just being fed straight up corn and soybeans and whatever is mixed into commercial turkey feed. Is there a difference in taste? Can you notice the difference between a wild turkey and a domesticated one? There is a, a difference in taste and primarily there's a difference in texture. And you'll find this a little bit too with the heritage turkey meat, especially if they've been free-ranging turkeys. That leaner meat that you get has a nicer texture to it, I find. I mean, other people might have a different opinion, but that overly soft meat that you'll get from a domestic bird is different than um, sort of the, the more dense texture you get from a wild or a heritage breed. So far, we've talked about wild turkeys, domestic turkeys, but you mentioned heritage turkeys. What does that mean? So heritage turkeys are breeds of turkey that were developed over the last you know, century and a half. And at one point in time, they might have been very popular farm birds. Things like bourbon reds are a heritage breed and are sort of making a comeback. Or standard bronze turkeys, which again look like the eastern wild turkey. Or there's black turkeys and narganset turkeys and royal palms and slate. So these were all very popular breeds. But then over time, the more standard white turkey or broad-breasted bronze just produce meat more quickly. So the heritage turkeys are slower to mature and slower to get to market size. So they've become less popular with farmers. But the important thing is that those heritage breeds, we need to keep that genetic diversity in the gene pool out there. So if anything ever, Lord forbid, happened to the standard white turkeys, there would still be some turkey genetics to fall back on to, to try to rebound the turkey populations. If I walk into the grocery store and I'm looking at all those stacks of frozen turkeys there, <laughs> those are all pretty much one type of turkey and it's got nothing to do with heritage or wild, right? Pretty much, yes, that's correct. And so where do I find my heritage or, or, well, I find my wild turkeys by going out and hunting for it, I assume. <laughs> right. Where do I find my heritage turkeys? Heritage turkeys, uh, you'll probably have to go down to the farmer's market or perhaps to the co-op or look online for local farmers that are raising heritage turkeys to try to protect the, the genetic diversity of turkeys and, mm -hmm. and hook up directly with a farmer. And what can you tell us about cooking the turkeys? <laughs> ah, it's one of my favorite topics. Um, so turkey meat, and especially the, the heritage and the wild turkey meat, is, is a lean meat, as we already talked about. So lean meat really does well with a brine. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to brine your... Well, now, now wait, now we're getting into a conversation here. Are you talking about brining, meaning wet brine, or are you talking about a dry rub? Ah, that's a good point. So... Um, <laughs> It could be either, but the wet brine will help to to bind the moisture in the in the meat and actually helps it breaks down the proteins a little bit so that the moisture gets trapped into the meat when you actually cook it. But the important part there, whether it's a dry brine or a wet brine, is the salt. The salt is what sort of 
breaks down those proteins and allows for the moisture to stay and absorb within the meat. You could do either. You could do both. Um, <laughs> but I highly recommend at least a little little time in a brine. It's actually a great way if, um, if somebody did buy a, a frozen turkey to defrost it. It's to just put it in a big old brine solution with some flavorings. Um, you could use cider instead of water. The most important part, though, is to make sure you have that salt ratio so that it sets the meat up to be tender and juicy when it cooks. My experience with wet brine or, or what purists would call brining as opposed to a dry rub is that it takes up a lot of space and it does take a fair amount of time. Right. So you, you really you have to either get a, you know, a commercial five-gallon pail or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something that can hold that big old bird. I've been around long enough where I've gone through all the phases of how should you cook your turkey, but I haven't yet spatchcocked it. And I'm seriously thinking about doing that this year for the bird. Is that the best way to get even cooking through all the different types of meat? That is certainly a great way to do it. You know, it it depends on the size of your bird. And yeah, it it certainly, so, you know, spatchcocking, it means to break it open at the breastbone and flatten the meat out so that it's more of a uniform thickness, which would make for more uniform cooking and heating. It works great for chickens. I honestly have never tried it with a turkey. We raise turkeys that tend to be like 20 plus pounds. So <laughs> yeah, that's in my oven to fight. Yeah, I, I'd love to hear how that turns out for you. Well, when we talk next year, we can discuss the pros and cons of that, that <laughs> method. Excellent. You know, so we, there's also a great way to do turkeys as a turkey in a can is what it's called. And maybe you've seen, you know, where people put a, a chicken over a beer can and then and uh, grill it that way. But uh-huh. then you take a upside down tea and you set the turkey on that above six to eight inches above the ground and then you put a metal garbage can that obviously is very clean and sterile and and there's no galvanized metal on it over the turkey and you put a couple bags of charcoal around it and light it up and in two hours you have perfectly crispy juicy turkey it's a lot of fun no wait wait wait. what's this called (laughs) it's called turkey in a can love that i I, that okay (laughs) Wow. And, you know, I don't think it has a technical term, but that's sort of, yeah, turkey in a can. That's fascinating. I want to do that. It's great in the summer. And, it, you know, it actually, it's great for Thanksgiving. If you have, obviously, it burns your grass, so you want to make sure you have a spot where you can do it. But uh, <laughs> use up the ovens for, uh, for pies. I want to talk more about eating turkeys. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about what goes with turkey. So talked about various ways of cooking it, but we didn't talk about stuffing. It's not uh, stuffing. <laughs> I, I have opinions about turkey, sorry. I, I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you say it's not stuffing? Well, I think stuffing the bird is, is not the best thing to do, is it? Well, so there's been some debate about this, obviously, that perhaps if you stuff it too densely that uh, it could perhaps cause the turkey to not cook all the way through to the center and and potentially be a food hazard. However, stuffing that's cooked in the bird is so darn good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so tasty and juicy. I stuff my bird. I absolutely do. I just make sure I don't overstuff it. And of course, I, I'm pretty confident that my birds are not going to have bacteria issues. So um, I'm all about stuffing. So do you have a favorite stuffing recipe? I like to do like apples and parsley and, and the 
bread cubes. I've been into making sourdough bread lately, so I'm going to do some sourdough bread cubes this year. So we have the turkey. Now, what about cranberry sauce? Does that go way back? Yes, it definitely does. Cranberries were something that uh, the natives knew about and shared with us Europeans that came over. And they had the convenient cans where you just sort of unseat <laughs> Not so much. I mean, I know that the cranberries were very much part of like the pemmican mix that the Native Americans had where they would have different bits of nuts and meats and jerky and venison actually was a big part of the traditional Thanksgiving meal as well, way back. How about other foods that go well with turkey? Well, so there's some some spices that are really nice with turkey. Uh, a lot of times a poultry rub will have sage, which is a nice flavor with turkey. And, you know, a little bit of butter and olive oil sometimes will be rubbed on it and traditional salt and pepper. But a poultry rub is, is a nice way to go too. And again, it has that sort of sage and maybe some garlic and some thyme and it tastes really good on the poultry. So I was doing some reading and I encountered something where they said if some of the turkey meat is pink. That is not necessarily a sign of underdoneness. So there is sort of a natural light pink tinge to the meat. So I think underdoneness would be more of a bright red. But sometimes you will see that near a bone, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's undercooked. Really, the best way to, to make sure that your bird is fully cooked is to have a meat thermometer. Right. And, and poke it in a few different places to make sure that that thigh is fully cooked as well as the breast meat. If I'm encountering my first Thanksgiving feast this year, if I'm responsible for doing this grand thing, what do I need to know about picking a turkey and then preparing it? What are the fundamental things that a novice turkey person might need to know? Right. So turkey person. Well, we're all turkey people. <laughs> Sorry. A novice um, turkey chef. Okay. <laughs> So one thing is, you know, they are very big birds, so they take longer to defrost, and they also take longer to cook. So I know many a novice Thanksgiving chef that thought they can defrost their turkey with just one or two days in the refrigerator and pull it out on Thursday morning, and it's still pretty rock-solid frozen. Um, if you are using a frozen bird, definitely give it a few days, maybe use that defrosting in a brine to make sure that it's fully defrosted. Obviously, a fresh turkey is, is going to be your best bet and um, certainly the most flavorful and tasty. But frozen birds work great too. And then the other aspect is that it consult a roasting chart and see how long or whatever method you're going to use to cook it make sure you give yourself enough time to get that bird fully cooked into the proper temperature so that you're not eating Thanksgiving feast at you know, 11 p.m. <laughs> but you don't want to dry the bird out. No, no. And you, yeah, you definitely don't want to overcook it, which will dry it out. And if you are trying a heritage turkey for the first time, they just do tend to cook more quickly than other birds. And same with the wild turkeys do cook more quickly. And I think that's because of the leanness of the meat. Are there any recipes on the wild harvest table that we should highlight? Oh, goodness. So there are lots of great appetizers and things to enjoy with your Thanksgiving feast as well. It really should be a celebration of all local foods that you can find, whether it's people that go out and hunt and gather things. So there's lots of great recipes to do with ducks and geese and venison, which all were part of the original Thanksgiving as we think about it here in America. Great. We'll highlight the Wild Harvest website and make sure people can get to those recipes and try some new things out this year. Sounds great. It's my favorite holiday. It's just a fabulous feast of local foods. 
thanks for listening to this episode. Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell, with help from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. For more about this episode, including show notes, a listener survey, uh, sign up for our mailing list, and more, visit extensionoutloud.com. And be sure to subscribe to Extension Out Loud on your favorite podcast directory. Mm-hmm.